Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, this is Shadia and I am back and I know I say this a lot, but I am beyond thrilled for this episode, like over the moon, thrilled and also nervous and having all the feelings. I feel honored and humbled to have our guests with us today. Both of them are widowers and have teenage girls who are a part of Girls Rise Up, our nonprofit that supports motherless daughters. My hope is for all of us to get a better perspective on what it's like to be a widower, hear about their wives, and understand how the loss is affecting their children. Please welcome Chris and Troy. Hi, Chris and Troy. How are you guys doing? Well, Shady, we're doing good here. You know, a little nervous making it out to the public, but you know, it's... You guys, uh, you guys do a phenomenal job on your podcast, and as I, uh, I've listened to it from the beginning, and it's very meaningful from me to hear about your journey, which obviously my girls being 14 and 12, they've got a ways to go, and it's helping me listen, listen to it really is, so I'm just happy to be here to uh, help contribute to uh, whoever out there might be listening. I love that. What about you, Chris? How are you feeling about this? I think I'm good. I'm good now. <laughs> we'll see in a little bit. But no, I, I am excited to be here and, and to help out. You guys have just done an amazing job for me and my daughter. So to return the favor, it feels good. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, let's just jump right into this. I'm hoping that each of you can answer these questions. And I'll start with Troy. So my first question for you guys is, I'd like you to share with us about your wife. That could include her career, her personality, her appearance, how she made other people feel, anything that you would want people to know. And then also her name as well. So, Troy, do you want to start us off? All right. Um, My wife's name is Karen. I lost her about two and a half years ago to colon cancer. Her love for life and her love for people wasn't apparent to me when when we were married and together, but it, it's really people that are reaching out to me afterwards, letting me know how much she touched their lives. It was one of the things that I think subconsciously I knew and, and why I asked her to marry me, but it didn't really come to the forefront until after she was gone. But she always made family a priority. She was a pilot, so she was on the road a lot. She worked her worked her schedule so that she could be home with the kids. She would generally leave home about six o'clock in the evening and be back about six a.m. the next day. So she flew overnight flights, but she did that so she could be home for the for the girls for our kids. She also was a big um, devoted Christian. It was, it was something that a lot of her pilot friends told me later afterwards that. They would be flying with her, and it's like, okay, it's time to close the door, time to start flying. And the last thing she would do is call me on the phone and say goodnight prayers with my girls. So she really put that as a priority. Wow. Yeah, and she made everybody feel welcome. It's just, I mean, 
I've heard that since she was gone. I'm like, I never knew your wife, but man, you, I'd really like to know her hearing what you talk about her <laughs> or, or they'll be like, you know, I met Karen once and she made me feel so welcome, but I never got to talk to her anymore. It's just, that's kind of the way she made people feel. I love that. Oh, Troy, that's so good. I love that she called you before she took off. That's just, I mean, so thoughtful. I always have to look at my watch. I'm like, okay, she should be closing the door. <laughs> I'm like, come on, girls, get together. We got to do prayers. <laughs> what about you, Chris? So my wife was Julie. She died in uh, January 2019 from a brain tumor. Yeah, similar to, to some of the things Troy said. I mean, she loved life, and, and admittedly, I took that for granted at the time. Right? You didn't, I'm sure subconsciously, like you said, it was there, but I didn't recognize it. You know, she was really good at connecting with people, you know, just always laughed and, and honestly maybe got a little frustrated at times how she would set everything down at any point in time to help someone or go hang out with someone for a glass of wine. It didn't matter, right? It, responsibilities were secondary to her and it just always, yeah, sometimes you're like, come on, we, we've got to get this done. <laughs> Taxes are doing two hours. No, I'm just going to run out and, <laughs> and do something. But again, now I, I look back and, and I think about that and, and how it's changed my life or how, you know, the impact it had on my life. And a lot of ways, she was the opposite of me. She was an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. Um, she's very adventurous. I'm, I'm pretty cautious. And so, but I think that that contrast pulled me out in so many ways. So it, it was cool. And then, you know, career-wise, she had a job at Wells Fargo. It was truly a job for her. It wasn't something that she had passion for. She had wanted to start giving back and, and working at a nonprofit. She intentionally went back and got her MBA to do that in her 30s. And I was the one who's like, well, cool. And I like that, but let's hold off for now until, you know, we're a little further along in, in our lives. And, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately didn't, didn't get there, but I think it was, it was very representative of her and again, always thinking of others. Uh, of herself. Mm -hmm. It's like the way she lived her life is how we all want to think back on how we lived our lives, but very few people actually do that. Right. I am very task oriented and I'm just like, I got to get whatever done. And it's like, I just wish I be a Julie, right? Exactly. <laughs> Seize the moment. It's one of, I don't know, it's something that I read not too long ago. I'm really big in short inspirational quotes. That's really the one that's stuck in my mind for probably the last a couple of months. And it's just seize the moment. And it's trying to do that and put down what you're doing. And it's like, oh, I've, I've got an opportunity to do this. That doesn't come along very often. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to seize the moment. I just have a quick question. Chris, do you feel like that's it's something that you do now where you're able to put things down in order to be present if an opportunity arises? I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think for sure, right? And and you know, one other thing that that I don't know if you, if you two knew, but my parents actually died just a couple of years before Julie died, both of them about two months apart. And so I, and they were both 70-ish, a little, little under 70. And so you put all that together and, 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 and I saw the things again that they had planned that they didn't get to do either. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's changed my mindset for sure. And you try, and again, it's, as a single parent, you're always being pushed and pulled in so many different directions. So to set everything down is, is a struggle, but nonetheless, I think I do a, a much better job of it now. 
that honestly seems like one of the biggest themes I've noticed in people who've experienced grief, this shift in perspective of like you're saying, seize the moment and looking back and reflecting on, oh, I wish, you know, maybe I would have, but informing the future in a way. So it's like you are more present oriented, which is beautiful. It's interesting though, but because that happened to me when I was so young, I feel like I almost maybe am too much in the moment oriented out of fear that there isn't going to be like a far future. So it is really interesting how grief and loss, I think, really shift our perspective of life in general. Thank you for sharing about your wives. I would love to hear about your love story a little bit. I think this is something that kind of goes by the wayside once, you know, your your spouse passes away. It's more about who they were, but I, I would love to hear who you were as a couple, how you met, what drew you to her, your engagement, what you did for fun together, what you fought about. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we met in uh, Memphis. I was working for an airline there and Karen was just getting out of, this, out of school and getting... Actually, she was an intern her senior year in college. It wasn't really, I wouldn't say it was love at first sight. Maybe it was for her because she asked me out on her first date. (gasps) Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's how it kind of uh, started. And then, uh, you know, it was her her love for life and doing just new things and different things. That was, it was she was, like I said, it wasn't really love at first sight, but she was such a fun person to be around. It's like, yeah, let's go do something else. Let's go do something else. So it's was, it was a lot of fun. And as I got to know her through those different activities, you know, I found that her her love for family, I mean, she's very, very close with her, um, with her parents and her brothers that all live on the East Coast. So a ways away, but she'd probably talk to her father at least six times a week. But it was something that I thought was really endearing and and neat to be that close to your family, right? So we had a long-distance relationship for a while. I moved back to Minneapolis from Memphis, and she was in Memphis for a while. And that was a challenge, but um, it worked. Then she uh, came to to Minneapolis, and we we continued our, uh, our fun activities together. We got engaged. I don't know. I mean, how do you ask somebody to marry? You know, will you, will you be my wife? How do you do it? And I'm like, searched and searched and searched. And I think a few people know this and Karen knows it later. But, you know, I was going to ask her in the fall and we were out in a, on a hike out in the East Coast and the leaves were beautiful. And I, I she didn't know I had the ring with and <laughs> we're out on the hike. And I'm like, wasn't this beautiful? No, I'm cold. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Working. This isn't working. <laughs> so it did it. And then uh, I, I, wrapped, I wrapped it up in a jewelry box under the tree that we opened on New Year's Eve oh. and asked her to marry me at that point. So we had a, a wonderful New Year's Eve. But <laughs> so that's kind of a, yeah, my love story in a, a short little bit. <laughs> Julie was five years older than me. So she actually knew my brother before she knew me. And, uh, similar friends. And so my brother and I, and a lot of his friends had played on a broomball team together. And so uh, he, or one of them brought her into, onto the team. And so that's how we initially met. And, you know, I think right away, I thought, she's really cute. But then 
her, you getting to know her. And of course you're going out to drinks after games and stuff, you get, get talking to her a little bit more. And so I'm pretty shy. And, you know, so finally worked up the courage to like say, Hey, can I get your phone number? Because I couldn't ask her out to her face. I'll just give her a call. Well, she saw right through it. She was smart. She punched me in the stomach. She was smiling, but she punched me in the stomach and pretty much walked away. I'm like, oh boy, that didn't go well. But oh well. That was like kids liking each other. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I came out to find she had a boyfriend at the time. So that was part of the problem. But within two weeks, she broke up with him. She called me and like Troy, she asked me out. So cool. Back on track, right? Good, good. So we dated for four-ish years before I proposed. And that was, you know, partly, I think, again, age difference and I wasn't ready. She definitely was was quite ready. She asked me often. But um, finally, we were down in Mexico with her sister, actually, the three of us on a trip. And sister was always at our side. And so finally, I'm like, can we please, like, just go have a walk together. And uh, I think she saw right through it. Like surprisingly, again, she'd been waiting for years and, you know, we go for a walk and quickly propose in front of the fountain. And then um, she's like, you know, yes. And then she goes, let's get back to my sister. (laughs) So boom, we go. And then we all went out to dinner together and hanging out. And actually the three of us slept in a king bed together that night. (laughs) A little awkward, but that's fine. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. Yep. So I uh, got married seven months later and just a crazy wedding at the Arboretum. Massive thunderstorm rolled through. There was like one hour of, of sun, which happened to be just at the hour of the, the ceremony, ran out, got married, and then off to, to have a party. So kind of an interesting wedding there. You know, Terry, you asked about like things that we would do together and you know, and her adventurous spirit, she was always, always up for trying things. And she found what's called orienteering a sport um you know it's finding checkpoints in in the woods with a map and a compass and she's like do you want to go try this i'm like i don't don't run Um, i like hiking so sure we'll we'll do it and we both fell in love with it and participated as much as we could she ended up being on the board ended up being a big activity with with us and our kids so that that was always just a a big part of our life and then traveling we just love to travel and go places both the u.s and, and abroad and so yeah travel was always something really look forward to. Okay, so now now we're going to get a little a little deeper and I'd love for each of you to share as much or as little you're comfortable with about losing Julie and Karen. I feel even uncomfortable asking that question. Yeah, that's okay. I I mean, I've told I've told the story a lot. So it's she died of uh, stage 4 colon cancer. It was she she fought it for about two years. So two years prior, she was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer and I had just gotten out of back surgery and I was walking because that's what the doctor told me to do to heal my back surgery is walk. And so I, I couldn't take her to go uh, go to the doctor initially. And she calls me and she's like, yeah, I got done with my colonoscopy and I have colon cancer. I'm like, wow, I'm getting done with back surgery and you have colon cancer. Okay. Through our marriage, it was always one of us was always the rock. We didn't have a problem of both of us breaking down and how are we going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? And and Karen would be the rock and vice versa. So it's like, okay, well, I need to be the rock. And, and I did, but there's obviously times as we're going through the battle and chemo and everything that I would break down and she would be the rock. And so in the two years that she was, she was fighting it, that's, and we had, um, 
two years he was fighting, and that's kind of how our relationship went. We had lots of help from family and friends, getting her to doctor's appointments and whatnot. All the while, she was doing her chemo treatment and seeing how tired she was. She was still wanting to be there for me, for the girls. She's like, I got to make dinner. Troy, you've been working all day. I've got to make dinner. And she would get up and try and make dinner. And no, I can't do it. I'm like, okay, well, then I need to do it. So I would step in and get it done. The difficult part, I guess, of the whole thing was, so the night, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was the night before Karen passed away, she was she was um, spitting up blood. She went to the hospital, and the hospital looked at it and, and kept her overnight and really couldn't figure out what's going on. I mean, cancer is kind of a weird thing, right? So they they sent her back home, and Karen's mother was from Connecticut, and she was in town, you know, came to see her daughter frequently. And and then I was off for a few days. So Karen came home from the hospital and I was on my weekend from work and Karen's mom went back home. And that night, Karen started spitting up blood again and she died in my house. So that was, it's a difficult thing for me to try and explain that that's sudden because you stay, you're your spouse, your wife, your loved one passed away of stage four, four colon cancer. And at least in my mind, you know, a lot of people fighting cancer, they they can have a slow decline and they go on hospice and whatnot. But this wasn't the case for Karen. I mean, nobody's mother is going to leave their daughter if they know they're on the deathbed. And she died in my home. So to me, it was sudden. And then I had to, that evening, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever it was, I had to wake up my girls and tell them, It's really sad. Thank you so much for sharing that. Before we start recording, I just said like, thank you for like, so brave of you to do this. I mean, this isn't my story and I feel like gut-wrenched. And to hear it from the perspective of having to tell your daughters is really profound. You know, the one thing that... um well, that night, you know, I called called nine one one, and of course they showed up. But I, I called them some church family, and I'm like, I got to go to the hospital. Can you come over and watch my kids? I was like, sure, I'll, you know, I'll be over. It's ten o'clock at night. Okay, I'll be over. Well, of course, with the events that unfolded, you know, it wasn't long before there was other church family there, and my pastor was there, and so that was helpful and comforting. And you know, there's some words that stick with you always. And the pastor told my girls, it's like, this is the hardest day. It's the hardest day you'll ever get through. And I mean, very true, right? And how, you know, telling somebody that's 10 and 12, this is the hardest day you'll ever go through. So, I mean, now we're here recording. It's like, yeah, no, no big deal. I can tell my story. <laughs> we got through that hardest day. Well, and do you all remember, because I was four and a half, I don't remember. I very vaguely, it's like I have this feeling in my body of being told, of kind of knowing. But for, you know, the rest of you who are older, do you remember being told? You do. Yeah, I was in the, it was right after Christmas and my mom was in the hospital. Like, I think she got brought up there quite urgently or whatever. And then we all got woken up in the middle of the night and got driven to the cities. And then I remember my dad telling me the next morning and 
I've never seen my dad cry like that. And I also cried. I mean, it was probably one of the last times we actually embraced and cried like that much. So sad. Yeah. I remember very specifically, I had been gone on a spring break trip with my marching band in Florida. My mom was very, very sick. Every day I was like, thought she was going to die. I don't know why my fam, my dad, and I think my grandparents decided together to send me because every day I was like, I'm going to get a phone call. And then what I have to fly back to Illinois by myself. You know, it just, it just didn't, I don't know. I was so scared, but anyway, I got to see her. I got back on a Thursday. I saw her on Friday. I spent the majority of the day at the hospital and my brother Craig was home with his girlfriend from college. It was Easter the next day. And my grandfather, we were watching, we were watching Turner and Hooch on a VCR. And my grandpa called. He and my grandma were at the hospital and he I answered the phone actually. It was after eleven PM. And my grandpa asked to speak with my dad. And then he shared with my dad and we all got in the car. My brother and his girlfriend drove separately. My oldest brother was working. So we called him and he drove separately. And then I went with my dad to the hospital and we, we each got to go in by ourselves and and say goodbye. Yeah. I remember the loss of my mom because I'm the one who found her in the morning and I, I'm an only child and her being a single mother, it was just us and our dog and our cat. And so I discovered her the next morning in her room before school and had to be the one to make the 911 call. And there was a lot of role reversals where there wasn't a choice, but I had to be the one to call other family members. So I was the one letting people know that she had died. But, you know, to speak to your, your point, Troy, you know, that's the hardest day I've ever been through. And so I can say that now. And it kind of astounds me sometimes that I can say that as a fact, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of wild how you can do that when the time passes. Not that it's easy or it doesn't hurt, but yeah, it's, when you said that, that struck me, your pastor saying that this is the hardest thing that you'll ever have to get through. And it was, it was the hardest thing I ever had to go through. Yeah. It also makes me think about Aaron, you saying that and thinking about your girls, Troy and Chris, you know, when we're young and we lose that essential person in our lives, we don't really know that there's any other option but to move forward. It's like, Aaron, you didn't even think about that there was another option than just to make those calls, right? You just keep doing the thing that you that you have to do. And I think only with time and perspective are you able to look back and and I think your girls will find this where you you look back and you're you're like how did i get through that and then they will also say because my dads were there you know because there were these critical people in my life that showed up for me yeah i think about the number of years it's been for me it'll be 32 years in april and it can you know if that loss can still the grief can still take my breath away and bring me to my knees. 
Yep. And it's like that for me, it's like that same feeling in right, right there in my, in my neck and my throat. And like, I feel it. It's the mom loss lump. Chris, would you like to share with us? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the story starts actually a few years before she died. She had a, um, so this is 2015, 2016, she had a meningioma. Uh, so tumor in her brain at, at probably the worst spot, deep right on top of the pituitary gland. And uh, so no ability to operate. So she went through radiation over a few months and um, then went back and, and did the follow-ups and it actually looked like it was it was pretty successful. So in October of 2018, she went in for her normal checkup and and they looked and said, yeah, all, all good again. This is great. Shortly after that, she started having some vision issues and um actually her eye doctor surprisingly said i think you need to go back and get checked again i think he knew but he uh, being an eye doctor didn't want to comment so she went back and they're like no we we refuse you were just here we're, we're not going to do another test we, we know it's, it's it's fine so we went probably a month-ish and, and things were getting worse and worse and, you know, she had tried to do blood pressure medication, so they had taken her off that, thinking maybe that's it. Who knows? Finally, she really starts to, to get irritated with her doctor, and he gives her the tip, oh, you just need to go to the emergency room. They'll do a test. And so, okay, so we check her into the emergency room. They do the scan. What do you know? She's not only got a tumor, but it, it's, it's quite large. So, again, this is over six weeks all this had changed from a clean scan to something very visible and, and very long. So, yeah, so in the end, aggressive tumor, surprisingly in the exact same spot as the old one, although the doctors would say they are completely unrelated. I don't know. Seems really odd, right? But um, that's they insist that they had nothing to do with each other. Just bad luck. And so it was, you know, quick and, and slow at the same time, I guess. It, so again, over the course of the next six weeks or so, she um, just slowly degraded, um, lost the ability to, to walk, the ability to talk. And, you know, just again, each day, you just see something a little bit worse and, and a little bit worse. Um, so she she did go on hospice uh, here at home. So we set her up in, in the front room. And uh, luckily, again, had a little bit of time for her family to be here and, you know, her, her sisters and brothers, uh, mom and dad, to be here with her, but would come and go. Uh, but on the night she died, you know, most of her, her family was here. We, she had been, it's one of those things where, you know, she had been pretty much just sleeping for a couple days and just wouldn't let go, wouldn't let go. And I just remember we're actually like encouraging her, like, you're ready to do this. Um, and my, we finally got my son to come up and, and sit down next to her. Claire was not home at the time. Uh, she was at a hockey game, but we got my son to come up and he sat down and he held her hand. And probably within 30 seconds, she died. I think she was just waiting. <laughs> she wanted to say goodbye to him. And <laughs> so, you know, it was, and then Claire, of course, uh, came home and walked in the front door and, and, and Julie's right there. And you had to grab her quickly and, you know, try to explain to her, yep, um, you know, this is. This is what happened. And again, it wasn't a surprise, surprise, right? We knew it was all really close, but, and she, we had talked about this ahead of time. Like, did she want to be there at the time or not? And, and Tommy was okay. I, either way, and Clara was actually pretty adamant. She did not want to be there. 
um, when, when we died. And so it, it ended up working out very nicely that way. But um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it, it was, you know, unfortunately, the, the way things went, we didn't have time to really prepare or, or do, you know, try to enjoy those those last moments, right? By the time we, we really knew that she was diagnosed or, or called terminal, she was too late to, to really, you know, enjoy, enjoy life. Chris, can you share with us how did the our initial diagnosis come about? Yeah, similar. There, there was just weird things going on, and she couldn't explain it. I, I think because of that location just starts to mess with your body and, and do weird things. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where they went in, and I, I don't remember the exact series of events, but I think they ran tests and checked this and checked that and, and somehow stumbled upon it. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact uh, process. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing about your kids in the mix because obviously that, well, that's how Christine and I know you guys is because of your your daughters. And so, and that's obviously a really important part of your story. So I'm hoping that each of you will share about your kids and maybe like how it's affected them since their mom has passed, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly go, you know, so two kids, uh, so Tommy, um, he would have been 14 at the time that she died, and then Clara, uh, Ted, they're great kids, and again, I think we've talked about this a little bit, Christine and Chatty, like, surprising in a way that they, you know, sometimes it gets scared that they're not processing it, but overall, I think they, they've been very strong and dealt with it very, very well, and I know they loved her and, and everything, but I, I, they, I would say that there's been... You know, their grades, they, they've maintained their grades, they've maintained their friendships. Like, again, I, I think they're very well adjusted and, and good kids, and regardless of what they, they've had to deal with. And so it's, it's again, I, honestly, if if it wasn't that case, I, I, I'd be really struggling, right? They, they made it easier on me because I don't have to, like, again, take care of them as, as much as I, I thought I would have. So they're interesting kids. I, I, don't, I don't always know how to explain them, but, man, I love them. I think that is, you know, can be so common, especially with the ages of 10 and 14, as we've found out through Girls Rise Up, that it's a really interesting time of life where you're resilient and you're really selfish and really are all about your friends, which can be an amazing distraction, I think, with it all. I found it to be a great way for me to cope was with my friends. And, but I also know both of you well, and I I said this before we recorded and you guys are both like outstanding fathers and you talk about them. So it's not like you're sweeping it under, under the table, right? That, that they died. I mean, I know both of you. And if, if I would have had you guys as fathers, I would have had probably such an easier time even communicating about my mom. So, I mean, kudos to both of you for that. What about you, Troy? I actually, wait, I want to start with Troy. I <laughs> I am Troy's, he has two kids, but I'm his oldest mentor in Girls Rise Up. So I'm, I'm pretty close with his girls um, and have known them for a couple of years. So I can't wait to hear you talk about your girls. <laughs> well, like you said, the, the ages that they're at, they were 10 and 12 when, when her mom passed away and the effect on them. It's difficult to say. And I, 
I've told lots of people this from the beginning. One of the things that's that's hard as a single parent, it's like, well, do you have another parent to bounce an idea off of? Like, is what do we let them go over to this person's house or do we let them stay up till midnight? And you know, you're all completely on your own. And then when you start talking with other families that are also raising teenage girls, that is an intact family and, you know, the typical American family that's got two dogs and, and they deal with all of the same problems that I see in, in the girls. So, you know, it's what they want or what they need. It's like, or what they think is the biggest thing in the world. And like, no, it isn't. And then you talk to somebody else like, yeah, I'm dealing with that too. <laughs> so, you know, what are the challenges because they lost their mom? It's really impossible to say because, I mean, they're, like I say, they're teenage girls. So they're, they're going through adolescence and you're, you're going to have challenges there. And when I hear that other families are having the same challenges, I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, is it because mom's not here or what? And then it's like, no, they're dealing with it too. So I don't really know that part. Um, my biggest challenge, you know, with Karen and my youngest, my, especially my youngest, she she's, loves to be social. She's a very social person, and she loves to try a ton of different things. Of course, when mom was around, that she was able to do that. I mean, very young, she tried gymnastics, and then she said, no, that's not for me. I'm going to go try horseback riding. Okay, well, that's not for me. I'm going to go back to gymnastics. And it's like, and now I've been she wants to go back to horseback riding and wants to do jumping. And I'm like, um, at least in my mind, I know if Karen was here, she would be trying to do horse jumping, but I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make that work. <laughs> you know, right, there's I only so much time. <laughs> so and then she signs up for volleyball and speech. And I'm like, okay, when are those? And compared to what your sister has, it, it just, it just really did work out well that, you know, I'm not hiring somebody or trying to keep track of them and try to support them in it. I've only made one of her volleyball meets, but I'll make another one soon, I hope. <laughs> but I feel bad for them because they can't do everything they want. But in the same token, she's resilient. It's like, well, well I'm going to go try this. Just today, she's like, dad, you have to sign me up for track. Like, what? What's track? When, when do I have to have you wear? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to make that work. But of course, if Karen was here, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, we can do this. So she's not, maybe, but it, I don't know, it's just working. You know, I don't know of any one particular challenge, but I did out to the listeners, you know, I, I've too listened to a lot of the podcasts and just, and one of the, one of the things that, you know, I told, I just told my story not too, you know, long ago about how I lost Karen. And I asked my girls once, I said, is it hard to talk about mom or is it easy to talk about mom? And I have an easy time talking about mom, not so much about the loss, that's difficult, but her love for life and who she was, I have an easy time talking about that. And both girls said, eh, it's kind of both dead. So yeah, it's, I think as a, you know, I try to keep, keep talking about mom and I'm trying to make it easier just so it's not so hard. It's not something they're going to bottle up. Yeah, it's just like a more a normal part of conversation. Oh, Sarah, she's just brilliant. That's duality. <laughs> These children, they're just so. That's literally. First of all, Troy, I'm like so. As a therapist, I'm like that's the best question you could ask. You know, is it easy or is it hard? It's a really great way to frame it to a kid, and then to have them be able to just be really 
kind of blunt about the complexity of it. It's both. It is both. I mean, that's so well put. And also so much of this podcast is about us encouraging others to support those who are grieving by allowing them to share their stories. I mean, that's what we (laughs) want all grievers to do, but especially if you're giving permission to your girls at a young age, that is such a gift. That is such a gift. They don't know it now. You might not even see the fruits of that now, but believe me, it is a gift. Chris, I was wondering, do you feel, you could talk about your kids too, but do you feel those same challenges as Troy as far as just schedule wise and trying to like single parenting, really balancing that without the other figure? Yeah, definitely. The first year was just miserable in a way. I mean, not only just so fresh, but I had both kids in multiple activities, I think five days a week, you know, so it was the divide and conquer, you know, before Julie died. And then, you know, after, you know, it was five days a week of, you know, getting kids somewhere every night, right. And rushing home from work. I mean, yeah, it, it was miserable. My son, who's now, you know, a senior in high school, doesn't have a whole lot. So that's made it easier, but Clara's got cheer two to three, cheerleading two to three times a week. So yeah, it's, yeah, again, it's, it's that balance and, and I'm not admittedly good about asking for help from others. And so I tried to, to take it all on because I, you know, part of it is, is I enjoy it, right? I do enjoy it in a weird way, right? Being in the car, having those moments to chat, catch up before you, you drop them off for a few hours and run, run to the grocery store, run to Target, right? Do all that stuff. So I've developed a routine, I guess, but but it can be challenging for sure. I just have to say, hearing you, both of you really talk about how you are present for your girl, for your girls and son too, Chris. But just Chris, how you acknowledge like that being in the car and having those moments. And it, it's really those, they can be the briefest of touch points, right? But they matter <laughs> for you, but also for them. And again, I think a lot of times kids aren't able to articulate that or even know that that's meaningful in the moment. But I think all of us can probably say, looking back, right, that those are important times shared with our our parents. And for you to do to be aware of that, I don't know. I just it warms my heart that you you know you're intentional. You want that connection and you want to support them in that way. And I just love it. <laughs> I'm thankful for you on their behalf. <laughs> <laughs> You can say you're welcome to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just just kidding. (laughs) On their behalf. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So with your kids, how do you keep the memory alive of their mom? Like, are there traditions that you do, whether that's making certain food or holiday things? How do you keep, besides just generally talking about her, is there anything that you do to kind of like celebrate her throughout the year? I mean, to me, the the big one for me, and I don't know if other widowers do this, but in my home, I've created what I call Karen's Corner. It's right in the corner of my house between my kitchen and my living room. So it's an area that anybody coming to my house has to walk by. I haven't changed it a whole lot since I originally set it up, although sometimes I think, well, maybe I'll take this, get rid of this and put this in there. But, you know, I already spoke about her love for family and, you know, right on the 
top part of the corner is the picture of me and Karen and, and the two girls that were was taken just shortly after she was diagnosed with colon cancer. But and then there's lots of other family pictures there. Part of her identity is a pilot. I've got a little female pilot figure there that that Karen found somewhere along the way that I'm like, wow, that's how many of those are in the world? If a little girl's playing with dolls, they don't have a female pilot doll. It's, <laughs> no. You know, she she had that. So that's there. Her pilot logbook is there. She was also big musical person and loved the musicals, loved the, the theater. So and one of her favorite plays, Phantom of the Opera, that playbill is sitting there in the corner. So just lots of different pieces of who I remember her fondly to be. And that's how I keep her and, you know, just in our family, that's Karen's corner. It might change a little here and there, but, uh, you know, other than that, I'm still um, not as connected as Karen was to her family. I mean, they're, we're in, we're in Minnesota and her family's in on the East coast. So I don't get to see them frequently, but do talk to them actually thinking they might be coming out for a, um, a women's basketball tournament. The Yukon girls, they love the Yukon girls and they're playing in Minneapolis. <laughs> Maybe if they make it, I don't know. I don't follow them, but they called me like, Hey, can we come out if they make it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your family, right? One of the things they started, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four years they've done it now. They all get together at a house in Vermont and invite as many people as they can. And I've been up there well, two years. Of course, COVID kind of shut down one of those years, but I've been up there too and look forward to doing that every year, you know, being with with her family. A, a very, like Karen, very loving, very welcoming family. And it's, you know, it's really easy to do. And, and I think it's important for you know, my girls too. It's, you know, hey, this is this was your mom's family and, and hearing stories. So that's kind of the bigger ones, just the little ones that like one might see a bald eagle flying. And whenever, anytime Karen saw a bald eagle, she'd like slow down the car. Hey, everybody, look, there's a bald, you know, and I'm like, hey, look at there's mom's favorite bird. Just little things like that. I, I, I mentioned uh, yeah, as you as you would if she was, you know, at home and you're driving, you know, well, yeah. she's not there. Oh, I wish mom was here so she could see this, you know, kind of thing. You'd do the same thing if she was alive. But still, they'll, they'll do those little things. Sometimes I have to try and be a little more intentional about it. Sometimes it's just easy and natural. Is that corner with a K? I know. Is it an alliteration? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's one of Karen's friends found a a Scrabble block with a big K on it. And that's there in the corner. (laughs) I love that. Well, it's good to hear you have a spot too, because I, yeah, similar. I I've got my Julie spot. I don't have a cool name for it. So I guess I'll have to work on that, but so, but yeah, you know, she was cremated. So it's actually, you know, her, her, her ashes. And I think it's more for me maybe than the kids, but that's, I like to go and stop and say hi and, and talk to her. So she, when I need help or advice, uh, have a little chat, but, um, but other than that, yeah, I, you know, unfortunately we're not good at traditions. We do celebrate her birthday with an ice cream cake. Cause that's what we used to always do, but that's, you know, it's more like what Troy said. It, it's more the little stories. It's the song that comes on the radio. And do you remember this or whatever it is, just the little things. Oh, do you remember the time that mom said this or did this? Right. Cause you know, those are the memories that, that I think it's you know, really, it's generally her when she was goofy. Right. And then and, and try to remember those cool days. So again, who's got corners of memorabilia. 
Aren't you girls, <laughs> ladies, dying right now? Like, come I on. Like, I want to redo. Like, can yeah. we all come back and one of you is my dad? <laughs> because I, it did not go well for me. No. So, <laughs> wow. You guys are amazing. You're something. You're something. I just have a couple more questions and then we will wrap up. I guess you two have gone through so much in the last few years. And right, then we get a pandemic in the mix. Let's just add that to everything. But I'm just wondering, what are some things that you're doing for yourselves now? Like, how are you finding the time to do whatever you need for yourself to keep your own happiness there as well? And then also would love to know where you're at with dating. Like, if you're interested in dating anybody, is this something that you even think about? Yeah. They're both like, we don't want to answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) But what am I doing for myself? And I guess this is to our listeners out there, really, or to your listeners. Um, what, What I did when, after Karen passed away, is I was very intentional about trying to find something fun, something we would enjoy, uh, maybe just the girls, maybe all three of us once a week. And it was really driven more towards them. Myself, I tried to do it every two weeks or it was just something I would like to do. Whether the kids were going to like it or not, I'm going to go do this. And maybe I just did it on my own. So it was, it was something to look forward to, right? It's like, okay, we have this life we're living and we've got to get through this but you know i've got something to look forward to that might be 10 days away if i can make it through these 10 days because i have something to look forward to as i look back over the last six to nine months i kind of i got away from that and i started living life and going to work and paying bills and bringing girls where they needed to be and wow that that wasn't that wasn't enjoyable i'm like i wasn't the a great person to be around because I was like, Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm just always talking about the drudgery. Right. So uh, I'm trying to get back to that. Maybe not once every two weeks, but now once a month because once every two weeks gets to be a lot. So at least something once a month that I can look forward to just, it's difficult for me to, to talk about because, you know, Karen's birthday is tomorrow. What am I going to do tomorrow? I don't know. I, you know, those as a, as a widower, you don't know how those dates are going to, how you're going to react to them. They always hit me harder than I can imagine. So I don't ever plan anything big, but I am going to go do see a, a Toby Mac concert Saturday down at the uh, Target Center. Um, and it's really an honor of Karen and her love for music. I invited um, six other people to come with. So there'll be a total of seven of us there. And some, most of the, everybody that'll be there knew Karen. So when we can share stories of Karen and, and enjoy the music, so that, that's the one thing, you know, I've got looking forward to that. It's right around the corner. Yay. I'm super excited about going. And, and my girls love, love concerts too. So that's the big, big thing for me is just trying to find something enjoyable, you know, spring break, we're going to go skiing and that's coming up too. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing for myself. The one part of me that I struggle with is being um, working out, just getting exercise in. After Karen was diagnosed with cancer, I, I had a uh, I had a job that gave me 30-minute unpaid lunch. And what I did is I walked for 30 minutes every day. It didn't matter if it was 90 degrees or if it was 40 below. I walked. I did that. I had to do it. I had to do it for my mental health and my physical health and trying to find that opportunity now as a single parent in a job that I don't have a paid lunch break has proved to be a challenge for me. 
I'm still trying to carve out that time and find it. But yeah, that's the one thing I want to carve in to help me just be a better me. And what about dating, Troy? Um, (laughs) Dating, I, I guess I would say I'm open to it, but not actively seeking it. It wouldn't do another woman any justice by like, oh, you know, yeah, we can't do anything tonight because I'm, I've got to be at this volleyball game or I have to be <laughs> at this beach meet or that kind of thing. It's, it's, I, I don't know how I'd carve out time for that. My kids are the priority. I'm like, like I say, I'm open to it, but I don't know where that would fit in my like life. If right it was a, yeah. If it was a good fit all around, maybe this point i think that's really nice because men generally jump into relationships really quickly and that's just very normal so i feel like you're actually kind of an anomaly in that troy that you i've been told that since i was 13 (laughs) (laughs) well i could go on on that note for sure you are (laughs) all right chris we're ready for you Okay. So yeah, I, in terms of self-care first, you know, I, I say, yeah, right out of the gate, I, I did try to a therapist that we just didn't connect. It didn't, didn't work for me. I think I'm generally a pretty independent person. I like to solve things myself. I feel like I can solve things myself. So, so that's what I turned to. I turned to a lot of self-reflection, you know, a lot of deep thinking and honestly COVID was great for me, right? And it, it, my job slowed down because of COVID. So it gave me the time I went from working 10 hour 12-hour days to honestly eight or six, but it was great. It was my time, first time in many, many, many years to sit back and relax and process. And so all that reflection was was amazing for me. And, and like I said earlier, you know, with losing both my parents and, and, and Julie, finally got to think about, wow, I, I don't want to have the regrets, right? That here I am, and because I don't know how long I'm going to live either. My, my family has terrible heart disease and, uh, you know, who knows? Like, I never know. And so to start refocusing and thinking about what's important to me and again, living life. And and overall, I, I honestly think as, as amazing as this is, I'm a more positive person now. I think I'm actually in a better state of mind now than, than I had been in, in many, many years. And again, I attribute that to again, this reset in, in life. And so I feel, feel pretty good about that. With dating, yep, I am dating. I started in, in late 2020. Uh, so about a year and a half after the, the Bumble thing and the match thing. And and I was admittedly skeptical going in, like, do, do I want this? How is this going to be? I mean, I was married for 18 years. I don't know how this works anymore, right? It's been... <laughs> so in the end, I honestly think it's helped me a lot. It's, again, giving given me my time to go away and, and do adult things. And I, I, honestly, they've all, you know, dated a number of people. They've all been very supportive been very understanding and, and honestly asked me a lot of questions and it's been good to, to be able to talk about it. I was just going to ask if your kids have met anybody that you've dated. Two of them. Yes. And how did that go? How did they react to? Uh, they, they've been really cool about it. Yeah. They, they, I think, cause it, again, it, and we talked a little bit about it, like, yeah, what, and I and talked to the person I was dating ahead of time. Yeah. What, what am I looking for? I'm not looking for a mom. That's not the point. But I am looking for someone who appreciates my kids and, and can enjoy time with them. And, you know, I think the kids have, have been, I think they, they, they've liked both of them. And we've spent time together and even gone away for a weekend together, the, the four of us. And so, yeah. So, again, I, th- I think that they're, they've liked it. They've, they've enjoyed it. And so, 
Yeah, so yeah, I'm actually just crossed the seven month mark with with someone, and so we're right now really happy. So I love to hear that. I love love. So that's amazing, and I think that also shows that your open communication with them, right? That it's not just like I'm going to date somebody and you're going to like him. That is just not your personality. And so I think that very much attributes to how they're reacting to your dating as well. Yeah, I was definitely a little nervous to even tell them about it to begin with. And actually had gone on a couple of dates, but I probably like, there's only so many times I can go see a friend before they're probably like, gets, you know, start to figure it out. And so I sat them down and said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to start dating. They're like, yeah, we know we saw the match uh, app on your phone. I'm like, no, okay, well, I'm good. Apparently terrible at hiding anything from anybody, I guess. I don't know. So. How do you want your children to remember their mom? When they think about their mom, how do you want them to remember her? I mean, I guess I think it's very easy to respond to that. And that's the love she had for them was immense. And everything that she did, it was she tried to work it around for them and her love for life. One of the legacies that I, I try to carry on and I enjoy, my girls both enjoy, was Karen's love for travel. I mean, her job took her places and traveled, but she also loved to travel herself. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out for next year. The, my girls have been saying, Dad, we need to go to Hawaii. So I'm like, yep, we're going to go to Hawaii next year, spring break. That's going to happen. <laughs> it's, I think, one of the hard things as as a widower in, or just a single parent out there. It's like, how do you plan and study and then also do an action? In, right? It's Karen and I, his marriage worked so well because she planned and I actioned. <laughs> and now I have to take on that planning part. And, and that's why there's positions in the world called travel agents, because it's like <laughs> they put it all together for you. But I, I can't go there. I'm like, no, Karen did it all herself. I can do this all myself. And it's, it's hard, but I, I continue to do that. And I think, you know, looking at things a little longer out, I, I can I can figure that out. But yeah, her love for travel, it's that's and her love for them. It's if the girls understand that I've done an excellent job. Yeah, and for for me, I mean, yeah, I want them to know, and you know, Claire to know, is similar how much do we love them. I mean, they uh, she would do anything for them, and and it goes beyond that too. And I didn't know how, again, I think took Julie for granted and, and didn't understand how impactful she was into people's lives until her funeral, and the number of people that showed up that I was just flabbergasted, and you know, so great. I think for the kids too, their teachers came and all the support and all the love and turned into a true celebration as opposed to, to a day of mourning. And um, again, I, I think that reflected who she was and, and again, everything she did for everyone. And so it's so cool to, to see that, but to, to keep reminding the kids of again, how amazing of a person she was. Thank you both so much for being here today. I'm overwhelmed with our conversation in, in the best way possible. And just like your vulnerability and to be able to talk so openly, I know that it will have an impact on others. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I'll be honest, like hearing Troy talk was already helpful for me, right? I mean, he can reflect and relate and so much. And actually, I think Karen and Julie would have been good friends if they had <laughs> known each other. I think they sound similar. 
for listening this week, everyone. And thanks to our guests, Troy and Chris, for being so candid with us and our listeners. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. In our next episode, we'll speak with Karen Kelly about her experience with mother loss later in life. You can listen wherever you stream your podcast. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. If you love our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would so appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open. If you share your story, it will get better, though it doesn't feel like ever, and you'll get stronger. It's a journey we'll get through together. for you.